The air is still, and a hush falls over the crowd. Kinetic energy bounces around in your body. It tingles in your fingertips and stops in your stomach to release a few butterflies. You're nervous, but you know you have chosen to put yourself in this situation, and there's no backing out now. You go over your lines in your head again and again, right down to the wire. What comes next again? How are you supposed to phrase that statement exactly? The nerves begin to turn to excitement as your entrance gets closer. You think of things that get you into the proper emotional headspace, check your clothes and shoes to make sure everything is in order, and listen for your cue. Finally, the time comes and you step into the light to tell your story. All eyes are on you, and you can only hope to be convincing. You see, when it comes down to it, there isn't that much of a difference between the stage and the interrogation room. I'm Holly. And I'm Leslie. And we, we would be dead. to do this another week yeah me I feel too. like I feel like the NPR ladies whenever we do this opening <laughs> I know me too <laughs> our setup looks nothing like that no we're not quite there yet <laughs> not on that standard someday mm-hmm. someday we do have thank yous this week I know we had so many reviews which was awesome yeah our, our people are the best people our fiends oh all yes. of our fiends which I love now you guys have a, a name Thank you so much for the reviews, and as promised, here are the people that we are sending so much love and gratitude to. First are uh, fiends over on Apple Podcasts, Will, Jill, John, Ariel, Heidi, and Nydia. And a special thank you to Heidi and Nydia for they're part of my book club. Heidi's my friend. <laughs> oh, Heidi's my friend. I guess, well, I take that back, Heidi, if you are listening to this. definitely my Heidi. <laughs> Because I know her screen name. Oh, well, okay. Well, then Heidi from Book Club. Get on it. Get on it. This is ridiculous. This is embarrassing. <laughs> freaking embarrassing. My Heidi, thank you. <sighs> thank you, Heidi. And, and also a, a thank you to our Facebook fiends, Jessica and Tom. Yes. That was so awesome of you guys. Jessica had, like, that great picture, and they Mm -hmm. were having so much fun. I absolutely love it. Um, And if you guys, especially anyone who has sent us a review, you have a request for a case you'd like us to cover, please, please, please let us know. Um, You can hear at the end of the podcast where you can get in touch with us. We're pretty readily available. Yeah. So, yeah, hit us up if you have something you want to hear about. I know a couple people have actually already reached out to me. Yeah, same. Oh, yeah, great. Mm -hmm. So I have a little list going. Um, the Black Dahlia is super high up on that list. Okay. Um, I got H.H. Holmes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me for that. I had three people ask me for Andre Ticatillo, which is super brutal. So if we do that, it's going to be very lengthy and, um, I'm going to need like a warning at the beginning. Okay. (laughs) You hear that, John? We're going to need a warning at the beginning. (laughs) I did record it a while ago. (laughs) So we got that for when it gets tougher than this one. And this one is, is tough enough. 
Are we ready to jump into Yeah, I'm excited about this episode. We have revealed on social media by now that this week we're talking about Daniel Wozniak. Yes. The very, very dramatic actor slash murderer. So we're in for some dramatic times. They're called thespians. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That's what they are called. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make sure that wasn't just a word that I knew. No, it's a a real one. Okay, cool. I mean, none of us are like, I am a thespian. It's like not a thing. I bet Daniel Wozniak was like that. You know what? You are 100% right. He was that guy. Yes. He was a lot. So I want you to call him now thespian Daniel Wozniak. (laughs) I will not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. This week we step out of the fragrant world of soapery, which Leslie described to us so brilliantly last week. Thank you very much. Thank you. And into the footlights of my world, the theater. Yay. I will say theater dramatically, though. (laughs) As always. (laughs) I'm pretty dramatic always. That's fine. We love a theme, and since we run the show, we thought we would keep it us-centric for a little bit. Yes, we are Jersey girls. Leslie's not from Jersey. No, Connecticut. But she lives here now, so you're Jersey enough. You're just going to have to (laughs) own it. I just feel like it's very Connecticut of me to be like, well, I'm from Connecticut originally. It is super Connecticut of you to say that. (laughs) But anyway, we both live in Jersey now, and we totally understand that it is our civic duty to cover the Jersey Devil, but we're saving that for a special occasion which Leslie doesn't fully know about yet, but I want to go on a field trip to Leeds Cabin for that one. Ooh, that sounds terrifying. It's awesome. It's in the middle of the Pine Barrens. It's desolate. Maybe we'll get murdered. We don't know. Oh, well, I hope somebody will take over our podcast. Maybe your children. (laughs) They've already started. (laughs) Okay. Don't you worry. (laughs) Anyway, back to me. I went to school. School. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) You can never say that sentence. (laughs) Nope. I went to school for musical theater. There, because you needed the accent. Yeah, that was good, right? That sounds not awkward at all. Though I am currently working on a science degree, but once upon a time, I was all musicals all the time. I worked in the field for a great many years and now perform for fun in community theaters. And let me tell you something, Daniel Wozniak is an extreme, almost hyperbolic version of community theater people. It's eerie, but based on the little snapshot of his life we get in this case, I can imagine pretty much exactly what he was like as a person and an actor. And I bet you I'm right. But we'll get to that later. Right, we're taking bets. <laughs> I don't think we have to. I feel like you would agree with me. Okay. <laughs> I just love betting. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's a whole different side to you. Do you have, like, another podcast that's sports betting? <laughs> Maybe. I would love that to be true. It's for another day. We're going to take a different route this week and give you some more background on the victims than the perpetrator. Firstly, because, of course, their names are the ones we should be saying. And secondly, because old Danny Boy is a big attention whore ass clown, and I will not be giving him the satisfaction of a detailed biography. Uh, No. I don't care about his normal-ass childhood or his mediocre acting ability or how he scored himself a Disney princess. Next. So let's set the stage. We begin in Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County, California. Yes, that Orange County. Are you excited? I'm very excited. (laughs) The television show The O.C. with all the privileged white kids and Misha Barton before she was a hooker on SVU. I'm not a fan of your tone. Okay, listen. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very good show. Okay. Yeah. It was, for the kind of show it was, I thought it was very well written, it was funny, and it ended much sooner than it should have. How long was it on the air? It was only on the air for four seasons. They... 
spoiler alert, killed Misha after the third season. That's because she had to go be a hooker on SBU. I guess so. But that's where they definitely messed up. They should not have killed her. Yeah, that's that's a big, big one. And then the fourth season happened, but Grey's Anatomy came on that year. And it was the same time. Grey's Anatomy has been on television for 140 years. I know. I can't understand how that happened. I've never seen one episode. My mother-in-law has watched all of them. Has She's up she? to date now. All right, girl. I thought she was still catching up on the old episodes, and she said, no, I'm watching the new ones. Okay. New ones? There's, yeah. There's <laughs> new like, ones, there's I like say. 25 years. It's like as old as The Simpsons at yeah, this point. Yeah, people love it. Good for them. I'm not bragging that there's I haven't like seen it. There's like three or sure four great. different offshoots of it, too, and they all like they... interlocked like a Joss Whedon oh, show. God. It's like The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. Kind of is. Oh. That's so tacky. Yeah, well. Sorry. They probably had a zombie episode. I wouldn't. They doubt kill it. people off too. Anyway, Grey's Anatomy just took over for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the OC, the OC took place in Orange County, obviously. Um, Orange County is a string of beautiful coastal towns. Upper middle class folks are plentiful. Crime is minimal, and the waiters at your local IHOP are probably SAG-AFTRA affiliated. It's the home of Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, which is not a berry farm. It's a theme park. Mm. Tricked you. And some world-famous surfing beaches like Huntington Beach and the very posh Laguna Beach, which also had a TV show. <laughs> I bet you loved that one, too. I did, actually. That was the only reality show I watched, now that I think about it. You didn't watch Jersey Shore? No. Well, Did you only yeah. watch beach-centric reality shows? <laughs> I guess so. I watched, I guess, the first season or two of Jersey Shore, but Laguna Beach was good. I don't, I liked Lauren Conrad. At the time. I didn't care for any of them. I kind of wanted to punch Brody him Brody Jenner was on that. Yikes. That's like how I knew who he was. Mm -hmm. Good for them. Yeah. And that was then. a good one. Okay. Well, they all are successful in some weird way or another at this point. Yeah. Except for that Heidi girl. Ooh. Yeah, that was a The mess. third Heidi to mention. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> who also didn't leave me a review. <laughs> okay. Get on it. <laughs> This is a place where trouble is so rare that the local theater and an army base are able to share a location. I imagine the boot camp is very glamorous. Mm. Everyone wakes up at the crack of dawn with a full face singing angsty ballads while they do push-ups. <laughs> Isn't that like a good A image? lot of kick lines. I would love that so much. <laughs> that would be fantastic. You know how in Cape May the Coast Guard like jogs down the beach and they like chant? Yeah. What if that was show tunes? They, I've heard I'm them sing saying. songs before. Are they for musicals? They might be. I want them to be. Coast Guard, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> sing me some show tunes. Yeah. That's not we have happen. requests. <laughs> Let's just say uh, this is not the kind of place where one would expect a ghastly double homicide. And yet, our story begins with Julie and Sam. Jury is actually her first name, J-U-R-I, but she's known everywhere else as Julie. No one referred, like you mentioned, no one like speaks her name as anything but Julie. Right. Her last name is Kibuishi, because I didn't mention that yet, was born on February 14th, 1987. Her mother, June, refers to Julie as her Valentine's girl, <gasps> which just rips my heart out. Ugh, her mom is so sweet and soft-spoken, and when she talks about Julie, you can just like tell how much she loves her. Yeah, absolutely. So sad. I love you, June. You're precious. Julie was sweet, vibrant, and engaging, and she made friends easily wherever she went. She was a competitive dancer. You can find videos of that online. She's awesome. Watch them. Her teachers spoke fondly of her, and she was that kind of rare young person that just legitimately has a blemish-free record. 
Interesting. Like us. Yeah. Well, yeah. I thought we were the only two. Right. Hmm. We were like up on a pedestal, and I'm glad she could join us there. Yes. (laughs) Welcome, Julie. Yeah, thank you. She was a genuinely wonderful girl with a promising future. Julie had always shown an interest in fashion, and from the photos I saw of her, I would say that she was a quirky dresser who wasn't afraid of a statement piece. Yeah, absolutely. She was very cute, very stylish Mm -hmm. for the time. Yeah, she seemed fun. Yeah. I'd hang with her. Same. Julie decided to take her love of fashion to the next level and began studying it at Orange County College. And judging by the fact that when the crimes occurred, Julie was 23 and actively enrolled in classes, we can assume that she took a little break after high school to sort out what she wanted to study, which I think is very respectable. Too many kids are pressured into going right into college after high school, and they have to declare a major, and that major dictates their whole life. And 18 is like not... Not always an age where you should be deciding the rest of your life. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it didn't really work out for me. Or me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used that degree yeah. for a while, but, like, I'm getting another one now. You used yours, and I just. You used yours. A little bit. You did. I tried. But now I'm podcasting, and I own a soap shop, and I do marketing. None of those things are your degree. None. Cool. Not one. <laughs> That's fine, though, because you're just, like, you expanded your horizons. You do a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's an enviable position. Good job. (laughs) 18 is a dumb age to decide what you're doing forever. Stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. So in the spring semester of 2010, Julie was enrolled in an anthropology class, and it was there that she met and formed a close friendship with fellow student Sam Hare. Oh, Sam. Sammy Sam. Sam was an army veteran. He had spent time involved in active combat in Afghanistan. It had been suggested in some places that he experienced post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of his time in Afghanistan. And honestly, I don't, I don't really doubt that at all. But there are no reports from a psychologist or psychiatrist confirming this diagnosis. So many, many, many veterans return from war with this same affliction. In fact, combat veterans have the highest incidence of PTSD of any population of people. That would make sense. Yeah. I mean, they see some shit. Yeah. I don't blame them. And they have to do some shit. They sure do. Ooh, not for me. That sounds terrible. Sam's friends were quoted as saying they witnessed him experiencing flashbacks. So I believe him. No shame in being affected by your trauma. That's being human. But for the sake of possibly mislabeling Sam, he's not here to tell me yes or no. Um, I will only say that his PTSD was suggested. When Sam returned from active duty, he decided to go to college so he could carve out another life for himself. Sam was close to his family, his father, Steve. God, we love Steve. Steve is like the best ever, and we'll come back around to him more. Was an ex-Marine and spent um, a lot of time with his son. They They were buddies. They were both very active, and Sam was very fit. Just saying that makes me feel like a tool. Yeah. How do I... Say that without sounding terrible. In shape? Very in shape, I would say. (laughs) Did I sound like a creep? Because (laughs) the eyebrows you're making at me that no one else can see make you seem like a creep. He was a very healthy man. (laughs) That's the worst of the three. He was a healthy man. He was indeed. He was fit. Yes. And in the interest of full disclosure... He was super good looking. Mm -hmm. His parents did a good job. They sure did. News media refers to him as movie star handsome. And I get that this is neither here nor there, but it's reported everywhere. And it's true, so why leave it out? 
He was tall and muscular and tattooed, which can seem imposing to a lot of people. Like he could be a scary looking figure. But a lot of people, um, a lot of people would say that, but not Julie. She described him as a teddy bear on the inside, which is so cute. The two had struck up a friendship when she began tutoring him for their anthropology class. And he got an A. Fantastic. That's what his mom said. Good. One of the many things I watched. The two were very close friends, but nothing more. Many sources state that the two of them were dating, but this would be incorrect. Sam's father says that he asked him what was going on between him and Julie, and Sam replied, nothing. She was, quote, like his little sister. Yeah. You don't want to date your little sister. No. No, no, no. And Julie had the same things to say about him. She said he was like family to her. Platonic relationships are entirely possible, but for some reason, the news doesn't like them as much as they like something romantic. So yeah, that's why it got reported as such. I mean, you can't really be friends with the opposite sex. It's just impossible, Correct. right? We're not even going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I don't believe. We have, have a lot of guy friends. Us. Gender is a construct. Nothing yeah. Oh, yeah. Is. There's a lot. That's true. Everyone's friends with everyone. That's true. <laughs> well, you can't just be friends with anyone, <laughs> apparently. Guess not. Yeah. On Friday, May 21st, 2010, everything changed. Julie had plans to have dinner with her brother and his fiance that night, and Sam was set to spend the weekend with his parents. He was scheduled to arrive at his parents' house on Saturday morning. Julie and Sam had texted in the late afternoon on Friday, just like, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Because they were the kind of friends that texted every day. And Sam said he would be helping his neighbor Dan move some things this afternoon. The exchange was normal and casual, and Julie went off to dinner with her brother and his fiance as planned, where her future sister-in-law asked her to be part of the wedding. Uh. I know, this part is really gut-wrenching. I know. When she asked her to be a bridesmaid, she gave her a silver and green tiara that she put on and just kept on. I know, little details are, like, really heartbreaking. For some reason, sometimes little things like that are, like, sadder than the big picture. I don't know why. I think maybe it feels personal. Yeah, because you can, it's a moment that you can feel. Yeah, you're right. Oof. While Julie was at dinner, she received two texts from Sam. The casual tone from earlier in the day was gone. These texts were urgent, almost frantic. The first said, quote, can you come over tonight at midnight alone? Very upset. Need to talk. Which was followed up by, quote, I'm hurting with some bad family crap. I can't be alone. No sex. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) the no sex part always gets to me, and I can hear that it gets to you too. Yeah, for sure. Because every source... Every source that's reliable and current says that there was nothing in between them. There are news reports from early on that says that they were dating, but, like, the vast majority of updated materials says that they specifically were not. So why would you say no sex? Like, we normally have sex, but not this time. Right. It's just a weird thing to write to somebody. It's super weird and awkward and I don't... If I were on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what do you mean no sex? Right. Was there a time when there was sex? Did you think there was going to be sex? I don't understand. My only thought to that was if he wanted her to come over later and if he was feeling distressed. And it sounded like a booty call. Yeah, he just wanted to make sure like, hey, I really need a friend. I know it's late, but please Maybe it was a joke the two of them had. Like he asked other people. They had other people that came over late and that was a thing. I don't know, but like it just always sticks out kind of to me. Because like, why would you say that? Anyway. I don't know. Maybe it was an inside joke. Maybe he's just really bad at... Maybe that's why they never had sex. 
Maybe this communication yeah. is just not great. <laughs> it's not there. It's fine. But Julie ignores it totally. It doesn't even phase her. Her response is, I'm here for you like family. And that's a quote. She's so sweet. Yeah, I know. And clearly, no sex is an unspoken rule for most of us with our family. Yeah. If he's like family, they're not having sex. Yeah, I mean, not in ours. I guess some people have different rules. I'm sure we'll talk about them on later podcasts. Cersei and Jamie. <laughs> That's who I was talking yeah. about. <laughs> mm, so don't get me wrong, though. I am not victim blaming here. I'm not saying like, well, she should have known something was weird because that's not something he ever would say. I'm just, is just mentioning. Yeah. A little clue that seemed to have gone unnoticed. He just, that was out of character for him. Yeah. At midnight, as planned, Julie goes to meet Sam and it's the last thing she will ever do. The last text found on her phone sent to Sam said, quote, hey buddy, where are you? I'm blurred out, freezing. Now the swear word is, is probably fucking. It's probably I'm fucking freezing because that's how people talk. Yes. I know how the youths talk. I'm a cool young person. Listen. I'm just going to let that go. Listen. Leave me alone in my oldness. <laughs> on Saturday, May 22nd, in the morning, Julie's precious mother, June, is going about her business, and she notices that Julie hasn't gotten up yet. So she goes to Julie's bedroom and finds that the door is open and the room is unoccupied and untouched. So it's clear that Julie hasn't come home that night, which is very irregular behavior for Julie. So she's not the type of girl that's going to stay out all night without checking in at some point. She either would have told mom ahead of time she wasn't coming home, texted her during the course of the evening, or in the morning, just to, she, she doesn't leave her parents hanging. Because she's a thoughtful, wonderful little angel. So June texts Julie urgently several times, asking if she's all right, where she is, no answer. Then June calls Julie, no answer. And apparently her phone doesn't go to voicemail either, which is like a weird fact that is never explained. Hmm. June says it, but that then it just is out into the ether and there's no explanation for it. So yeah. She wasn't there. A few hours go by and around noon, Julie is reported missing to the police. Now, a side note about this. There is a super dangerous rumor that I think was started by crime shows that a person can only be reported missing to the police if they have been gone for over 24 hours. This is false. Capital letters. A person can be reported missing at any time. Law and order lie to you. Ugh. Done, done. Yeah. And I believed it. <laughs> I did too. For a long time. I believed it too. I only found out recently that that was, that was not true. You can report a person missing, especially yeah. a child, mm -hmm. at any time. Like if you see that your kid isn't there, you don't, well, gotta wait till tomorrow to tell the cops yeah. they're gone. No, you don't. Report them immediately. Do not waste precious time. Yeah. You know what the scarier part of that was? Mm -hmm. I I believe that I could at least report it mm -hmm. at any time, but it was that it wouldn't be taken seriously until a certain amount Ugh. of time. That's yeah. like what I always also believed. not true. Report any missing loved one you have for any amount of time. Report them if you think something is going on, even if it's just a false alarm. Better safe than sorry. Always. So even though Julie had only been technically missing for like seventeen hours, it was still valid for her mother to report it, and she did. Meanwhile, back at Sam's parents' house, things began to get very worrisome. Sam's father, Steve, who we love, is super concerned. His son was supposed to arrive at their house that morning, and he still hasn't showed up, which is also very irregular of Sam. He was yeah. a reliable guy, especially with his parents. He was If he said he was going to be there, he was there. Sam's dad is calling him and texting him and getting no responses. So it gets to be early evening. And Steve decides he's going to go to Sam's house to see if he's okay. Now, Steve has a key to Sam's house, 
So when he arrives at Sam's apartment, sorry, not a house, it's an apartment, he lets himself in, and the apartment is super quiet and still. Steve calls out for Sam. No answer. He looks around. The house is clean, in order as usual. There's some beer bottles on a table, but nothing that would raise an eyebrow. On the table in the kitchen is a woman's purse, and on the countertop is some kind of spilled-out mail, and he notices the open wedding invitation to Daniel Wozniak and Rachel Buffett's wedding. Steve pushes on and gets to Sam's bedroom. He opens the door, and there is where he finds a terrible sight. A woman is lying face down on the bed. Her pants and underwear have been pulled down. Her top was ripped and askew. She appears to have bled out from her head, but is still wearing a silver and green tiara. Across her back in black ink is scrawled the message, all yours, fuck you. Classy. Oh, I hate that visual. I know. It's And I've definitely seen crime scene pics. They're out there. You yeah, have to I, look hard. I'm not going to mm-hmm. post them in, in respect to Julie and her family, but mm-hmm. they're there, and it's very upsetting. Now, all that your average Joe would have seen here is like a bloody mess and a half-naked girl, but Steve is an ex-Marine and assesses that she has been a sec- sexually assaulted and shot. He calls 911 immediately, which... Bravo, Steve. Yes. Because any of us who see this in our child's house might not have the same reaction. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here to judge. Right. Yeah, I know. He's a badass. He really is and has, like, the strongest moral compass out of anyone I've ever Mm -hmm. encountered. Not in real life. Although it would be great if I did. We love you, Steve. (laughs) You're the best. So Steve calls 911, and he thinks the worst. Like, what could have happened? Could his son have done this? He tells the police that he is, he is in his son's apartment, number 410, in the Camden-Martinique apartment complex in Costa Mesa, and that he has found a body. The 911 operator asks Steve if he is sure she's dead, and he says that she is. She's cold, not breathing, no pulse. When asked if his son is there to describe what happened, Steve tells 911 that he is not. Can you imagine what this must have been like? Like, I can't even understand how he had the presence of mind to make this phone call. I would yeah. have been losing it. But he's very, like, it's the 911 call is also out there in the world. It's very yeah. easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not in the business of using 911 calls. At this point, we might eventually. Right now, I don't kind of have the. He started, I remember he started off pretty strong, mm-hmm. just kind of like, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then as the 911 operator kind of pressed him more, mm-hmm. that's when you can hear the shake in his voice, and he's, <sighs> like, getting scared for his son. Gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. So law enforcement arrives shortly after the call is made. They go through the purse on the kitchen table, match the woman's face to the driver's license, and determine that it is, in fact, the body of Julie Kibuishi. But we knew that because of her tiara. Yeah. Immediately, law enforcement begins to connect what feels like very obvious dots. Mm -hmm. The apartment is neat. There are beer bottles on a few tables. Maybe Sam got drunk. Julie came over. He wanted to have sex with her. She refused. The argument got heated. Sam flew into a rage, forced himself on her. She said no. He killed her. Easy enough case. Right. Like, tale as old as time. Mm -hmm. Maybe his combat PTSD had taken over, and as soon as he started getting mad, he just blacked out, and shit happened. Right, because now it's very convenient for him to have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. There it is. That's why I will only say suggested because we don't know that that happened or didn't, that that's true or not. Sam and his car are missing. His phone is off. And what it looks like is that he committed this crime and then ran. Yeah. Pretty easy to connect. In the three days that follow the crime, police put out an APB for Sam. They say they consider him armed and dangerous. Sam, as a veteran 
owned and knew how to operate firearms. He appeared to be unhinged. They are uncertain of his current mental state. He could be a danger to himself or others. And he had a police record. Yeah, he did. I read a couple of reports that kind of went down a hole of it, and they all kind of sounded a little differently. So the overview is Mm -hmm. that before Sam went into the Army, I think he was a young kid, still in high school. Okay. And they he was hanging out with a gang, so he wasn't in the gang yet, but he was hanging out with a gang, and this gang wanted him to lure one of the rival gang members who happened to be Sam's friend to a secret spot where they would beat him up. And I don't know if the plan was to kill him, if Sam had knowledge that that was the exact plan. Yeah, the report I read was that he didn't know, but it was their intention to kill him. Yes, and so I don't know if that... I don't know how that worked out. And that might have just worked out that way for him in court. But either way, they lured him over um, to the spot. There, The kid died. And there was 18, it was like 18 gang Jeez. members to one. So many. So he was in jail for two, maybe two and a half years awaiting his trial. And Ow. they split, since it was so many people, they split them up. But Sam was part of the group. There was about six of them that weren't part of the large crowd that beat and killed. They weren't in the action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They kind of were off to the side, and those six kids ended up getting acquitted, whereas the other group all were convicted. So he was arrested and held, tried, and acquitted. Yes. Okay, but this is on his record. Mm -hmm. And and didn't Steve, like, make this, make the the police aware of this? Right away. Honest, um, best man in the world. I know. Yeah, right away he decided to tell the police because he said... You're going to find this out when you look into my son. Mm-hmm. I'm just laying it all out there for you. And I have to tell you, this is this particular crime is not in his character. He would never kill a woman. Steve, honest to the core, dude. So they have all the honest facts on Sam. It really looks like he committed this crime. Right. It really does. Julie's parents are then informed of her death. And they are just, it's terrible. They are so upset. And every time they talk about Julie, their their heart just breaks all over again. Though it was originally reported that Julie was killed with one shot to the back of her head, which is what the cops said they saw upon entering. They said they saw a girl, she had one shot in her head. Medical examiners determined that it was two shots. The second shot would have been extremely difficult to see at first glance because there was copious amounts of blood and it was partially obscured by her hair. So... Law enforcement considers Sam to be their prime and only suspect, but Steve isn't convinced. Um, and I'm inclined to always trust Steve. Yeah, me too. Canada first, then blood sacrifice. Yeah. Always trust Steve. <laughs> always trust Steve. Good slogans. Yes. That's their next one. <laughs> I know. I think he is the one that told me Canada first, is blood sacrifice I second. I doubt it. Like, I feel like he's yeah. the source of everything good in the world. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for Steve merch to happen. Yeah. <laughs> We need merch. Yes. If you're an artist and you want to make designs for these ridiculous statements that we make, we would be so happy to see them. Yes. Post them in the Facebook group. <laughs> we will post them everywhere. Because we have so many fans. So many. We have dozens and dozens of listeners. We don't have the two Heidi's that we need. <laughs> we have one. Poor Heidi. She's going to write so many reviews now. because <laughs> She's going to be so embarrassed. Whatever. We didn't mention any last names. Yeah. Fine. Just Heidi from Book Club. <laughs> Everyone knows your book club, yeah. Leslie. God damn it. Heidi from Laguna Beach. 
all right, that one I will mention. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So as it turns out, Steve and his son had shared a bank account. And Sam had $62,000. Oh, boy. So much money that yeah. he collected in combat pay from the United States Army from when he was in Afghanistan. Mm. All that money he put right into his savings account. I guess he's a good boy. Yeah, and I guess you don't need it while you're in combat. You just get it no. when you come back. Yeah. That's crazy, though. And this is a fact that Sam was, like, relatively open about. He didn't hide that he had, like, mm-hmm. a decent-sized cushion in the bank. On May 26th, Steve notices a flurry of unusual activity in his bank account because, I don't know if I mentioned, but Steve and Sam share this bank account. Okay. So he sees some large-scale withdrawals being made at two different banks just 20 miles from Sam's apartment in Long Beach, California. The withdrawals are for $400, which is the maximum amount of money that can be withdrawn from an ATM at one time. Steve and law enforcement are, are obviously suspecting something is going on. So they go to the bank and get the security footage of the ATMs in question, expecting to see Sam or an adult. But lo and behold, they see a kid. Oh, oh, kid. <laughs> They also then find out that there are two charges for a pizza delivery. Such a kid thing to I do. I know. I'm going to order pizza. Yeah. They're not going to know. Dude, it'll be fine. I'll get pizza. It'll be yeah. awesome. <laughs> He's a kid in 1987, apparently, as well. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Just go with us. Kids still love pizza, right? Yeah. I'm very young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to the pizza places in question, and they're able to obtain a name and address. Easily. I, I delivery. Love- <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this in the documentaries because they said, like, they went to the pizza place and they thought it was going to, the detectives made it sound like it was going to be a little bit of trouble getting this address. But oh, they no. were like, oh, no, the guy just handed it over. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. Here you go, man. Pizza guy was like, don't yeah. even get me in this. Mm-mm. Here's everything you need, <laughs> cops and badass. It was because Steve was there. Yeah. They're like, anything for you, Steve. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> So, the boy in question in the video is 16-year-old Wesley Freilich, and I fucking love Wesley. Yes, Because <laughs> he's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Connecting the few pieces that they had, police figured that, that pro- probably Sam was hiding out in Wesley's house. Yeah. And the, the withdrawals were for him, and he was mm-hmm. on the run. Somehow he knew Wesley. <laughs> so, quietly... A team of law enforcement assembled, and I don't mean, like, three cop cars. I mean full SWAT, helicopters, guns drawn, guys rappelling off the wall. It was real extra. It was super (laughs) extra. Sunglasses, Kevlar, guns. Well, they're going after an army vet. (laughs) You don't know what he has. Surprise! They get in the house, they pull the occupants out, cuff them, throw them on the ground, storm the castle. They enter the residence and he's not there. No. So then they come upon a locked bedroom and there they're he like, is. jackpot! Here he is. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They kick down the door and it's just like his mom's bedroom. <laughs> yep. They search the house and they find Sam's credit card. So they go, go out. And uncuff Wesley and pick him up off the floor. <laughs> oh, Wesley, you poor thing. Wait, oh, so the mom's bedroom was oh, just yeah. locked? Yeah, we're going to get to that. <laughs> they asked him, they're like, well, what was going on in the house? He goes, oh, yeah, my mom just locks it just in case. 
Just in case, you know, what? her children steal from her or her children's friends were there. Like the Maybe neighbor they- boys. <laughs> Listen, neighbor boys are shady and we've already found that out. Yeah, for so. sure. If she, she probably maybe, had a good stash of weed. In maybe there. she did. And you know what? No judgment. Parenting is hard. Live your life. Yeah. Mom locked in a room. <laughs> She's like, my son, Wesley, does not need any more weed. <laughs> Wesley clearly has smoked a little weed in his yeah. life. Yeah. Because we'll get to how he talks in a second. <laughs> I can't wait. Which is so good. Oh, God. Wait, so now Wesley is just on the ground, right? Yeah, the cops pick him up, and they're like, what is going on? We just wasted all of our resources storming your house that just had nothing but a credit card. Why do you have this credit card? Oh, dear sweet little Wesley. First thing he's quoted as saying is, I was shitting myself. (laughs) Which, like, we get it, Wesley. Yeah, I I'm shitting myself for you right now. Once Wesley is uncuffed, he is brought in for questioning, and he's just terrified and immediately could, like divulges his story. He has no bones about it. He's honest like Steve, which is also a good T-shirt. Yes, <laughs> honest like honest like Steve. Steve. <laughs> yes, so much gold to mine. I love it. I know. So Wesley says that he was approached by Daniel Wozniak, who oh. we mentioned who is an actor that performed with Wesley at the Liberty Theater in Los Alamitos. The Liberty is the community theater that shares its space with a military base. So both of their worlds collide. For ease of use, we're going to call Daniel Wozniak Dan. He went by Dan mostly, and it's awkward when you have a name that you can abbreviate, but you just choose to use the whole one. (laughs) Listen, Joshua, I'm not calling you by the whole name. (laughs) I I don't know. It's awkward. Maybe it's just me. I think it's awkward. (laughs) I'll call you Daniel if you ask to be called that, but I'm not going to like it, and I'm always going to feel like I'm your mom, and I'm mad at you. Yeah, Daniel, get down here this instant. Or it's your Christian name. (laughs) I don't have a lot of that experience. Maybe that's the case. Maybe. Does Jesus call you by your full name? Yes, Matthew, Lucas. I don't know if that was one. I think it was just Luke. I think it's Luke. Oh, so he had a nickname, unless it was just Luke. Just Luke. <laughs> Gabriel. Gabe. Yeah, Angel Gabe. <laughs> I would have called him Gabe. It would have been awkward otherwise. Yeah, anyway. I would have too. See, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Anyhow, we're going to call him Dan. <laughs> Dan was an older performer, and he was frequently cast in leading roles. He was somewhat of a mentor to Wesley. He was like a spirited, life-of-the-party type guy. Hmm. Wesley called him, quote, a cool kind of cat I would like to groove with. <laughs> Fucking love Wesley. Who says that? At Wesley. <laughs> Who says that? I don't know, guys. He was just a cool kind of cat. I'd like to groove. And with. I totally hit the table. I'm sorry if it sounds like the castle yeah. was stormed here. I swear to God, there's no SWAT team. It's <laughs> <laughs> just me touching the table. You never know. Cool kind of cat he likes to groove with. Yes. I, I think of Doug Funny's sister every time. <laughs> Her little cap, such a specific pull. I know. Okay, (laughs) I get you though. Oh, Wesley, my sweet summer child. As Wesley says, Dan approaches him with like a legal-looking dossier of paperwork. That's what he says. Hmm. It's like a Manila envelope. (laughs) A dossier. Yeah. I don't think he used the word dossier. I think I like that word, so I used it. But he said it looked very professional. Yeah. And uh, he asked if he would help him out. He said that his buddy Sam was in trouble with some bail bondsmen and he needed to withdraw money from his account without them knowing. Which, why would they know? Unless they were constantly following him. Whatever. Wesley's not the brightest crayon in the box. So 
Sorry, Wesley, I love you, though. Yeah. He asked Wesley to make the withdrawals for him, then give the money to Dan so he could pass it along to his friend Sam. Dan explained that the whole thing was perfectly legal because he had all that paperwork. Right. <laughs> Guys, I have all these papers. All these papers. So everything is totally fine. Totally fine. <laughs> oh, God. I just remember in the documentaries when <laughs> they, like, shot the stock footage mm-hmm. of these two detectives, but it was just these two hands just kind of pushing. It was an opened envelope mm, with, that. like, Over one there. or two mm. pieces of paper, and they were, like, <laughs> just moving their hands back and forth. <laughs> Well, you know, that means it's legit. Yeah. When there's hands and paper, it's totally legal. Yeah. I really felt it then. I was like, oh, yeah, that's this definitely what happened. Or I Wesley. I would have believed it, too. <laughs> he was also 16. I got to give him a little bit of a pass. Yeah. And it's, probably it's stoned. Probably from his mom's stash. Yeah. That's why she started locking the door. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe but, not. That wasn't recorded. I don't know. Yeah, no, we're just, <laughs> we're just spitballing here. Yeah. So Wesley agrees to this plan, and he's instructed to wear a hat and sunglasses, which is what you do in all legal things. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so the pair drive to the bank in separate cars. They park in separate spaces. And Wesley skateboards from his car to the ATM. <laughs> Such a kid thing. Pizza and a skateboard. Yes. Come on. <laughs> and install and, and withdraws a couple installments of $400 brings it skateboards over to dan's car this time and hands him the cash (laughs) the first time he did this dan asked wesley why it took so long and he replied that it was his first time using an atm poor sweet boy oh wesley was new to this planet i I just want to protect him (laughs) so after all the shenanigans with poor wesley it was clear that law enforcement needed to talk to our friend dan They discovered that Dan lived in the same apartment complex as Sam, that they have attended the same parties and barbecues. There was a pool out back, and there was a lot of, like, all the residents would gather together, and there are pictures of them at the same events. Um, And they recall the mail spread out on Sam's counter with the invitation to Dan and Rachel's wedding. Clearly, they know each other. Yeah. A detective calls Dan on his cell phone and speaks to him briefly. He says that Dan needs to come down to the police station for questioning to speak to him about Sam Hare. Dan said that he's too busy. He has bachelor party that night, his wedding in a couple days, and he did not have time for this. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no problem. Man. Yeah, you could just you tell the cops, know. like, I don't have time for your law bullshit. I gotta go. I gotta go, man. I just, I'm so busy. Getting wasted. <laughs> at the saddest bachelor party ever. <laughs> we'll get to that in, in a minute. Oh, God. I am so obedient and afraid when it comes mm-hmm. to law enforcement that they could call me up and be like, Holly, you have to come down to the station and donate both of your arms without anesthesia to our investigation. And I'd be like, I'll be right there. Like, what, <laughs> whatever. I, you don't say no to the cops. Yeah. This be, so his behavior is like, it blows my mind. It's entirely beyond me. Yeah. I get Because that would have been maybe the first time he heard from them. Yeah. And they just told him to come in for questioning. Mm-hmm. They weren't like, we're going to arrest you. They're like, we just got to ask you some questions. This is your neighbor who you obviously know. And he was yeah. like, no way, too busy. I did hear from another source that um, that Steve might have called him earlier that day when he was trying to find out of course he did. where his son was. He knows everything. I know he knows everything. So it was said that he may, and this was Steve mentioning it on... Um, like a podcast I'd listened to, Sleuth, 
Um, yeah, Sleuth is a pretty mm-hmm. in-depth podcast about this case, and we urge mm-hmm. you to listen to it. Um, but yeah, it, the it, first, like, two or three episodes were pretty good, and then... They do have an yeah. opinion, though. But, which we'll but Steve was on there, and he mm-hmm. mentioned how he had called, like, three of his friends, and one of them ended up being Dan. Okay. And there was a little red flag to him when he talked to Dan, mm-hmm. and he said, hey, like, have when was the last time you saw my son? Do you know anything? And Dan said that he had seen him, um, but... The last time he talked to him, he said that he was having girl trouble and family troubles, and he just was acting a little weird, and that was a red flag to Steve. He wasn't having any of that. No, they, like, at the beginning, we said he had a really great relationship with his dad, and... He did not have problems Mm -mm. with women, either. Yeah. No. Sorry. No. So, yeah, so he thought that was a red flag. None of his other friends had said anything about that, and so maybe Steve... Maybe. Or, sorry, maybe... Dan had thought he was in the clear or didn't need to talk to the cops. He should have been honest like Steve. Should have been honest. On a t-shirt, honest like Steve. Honest like Steve. Make it. So apparently his behavior was also beyond the cops. Based on his connection to Julian Sam's case, his obvious identity theft scheme, the, the cops were able to issue a warrant for Dan's arrest. So now he's wanted for his involvement in the disappearance of Sam Hare and the murder, murder, I can't talk anymore, and the murder of Julie Kibuishi. That night, detectives decide they're going to just find Dan and take him in. And they find him at his sad-ass bachelor party at Sushi Tsunami. <laughs> it's like a strip ball sushi restaurant. I know. <laughs> it's so sad. It's like him and three guys doing shots of sake or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> unfortunate. It's such an epic name, though. Like, but then they. I like the footage on the documentaries. It just looks like they're sitting in like the diviest spot. I know. Well, and it's always empty. There's never cars around. Mm-mm. It's like they filmed it, and like, it looks after like a, it looks time. like a strip mall too. It does not. Yeah. Listen, Sushi Tsunami. Maybe you're beautiful and amazing, and sponsor us, and yeah, we'll talk about I'd you more. There. Yeah. I love sushi. Me too. Oh, we need to go get Thai food soon. Yes. But that's beyond the point. <laughs> Sponsor us anywhere that sells Thai food. Yes. We love you too. So they pick him up. They walk into Sushi Tsunami. And there he is doing shots in his horrible Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. (laughs) So bad. I love a good Hawaiian shirt. Not that one though. (laughs) It was generally bad. But like Dan sees the detectives enter and he's visibly nervous. Like he gets pale and quiet. So they pick him up and they say, okay, you got to come with us, dude. You can't just be too busy. Right. Sorry. I imagine that police involvement was, like, the most exciting part of that night for the other guys. They're yeah. probably like, it was ridiculous. The sushi was pretty good. Dan is super boring. But then the cops came. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you have a story. Yep. Now they'll always remember that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the detective that brought him in and the lead detective on this case is named, uh, a man named Mike Cohen, who has an epic mustache. Oh, for sure. <laughs> He's glorious, and he has some real gems later that we'll pick up on. So now the story starts to get really good. But before we get to the main event, let's do just a little bit of character development on our leading man. Yay. Not too much, because he's a douchebag. Daniel Wozniak was born on March 23rd, 1984, and he grew up like a normal person, blah, 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 blah. He lived in Orange County, California, um, after whatever college time he's there's no college record there's nothing for him he's just boring guy he a lived thespian. he was after thespianing for a <laughs> while he uh, lived at the camden martinique apartment complex just a short walk away from sam Hare. dan lived with his fiance rachel buffett 
They both performed in the community theater productions at the Liberty Theater in Los Alamitos. And uh, just a word about community theater from somebody who knows. First of all, it's an unpaid gig. The performers are there for love, not money. This does not mean they are any less talented. I've seen some amazing performances in a community theater, and there are people there that just, they just love performing. That's why they're there. But they are not supporting themselves with this. Sometimes performers are hobbyists. Sometimes they're people who had a professional career, gave it up in favor of something else, but still want to remain in the art form. Sometimes they're there to meet people and try something new. Sometimes they're aspiring professionals just like looking for experience and trying to climb the ladder. Needless to say, you meet some pretty big personalities. Rachel and Dan were aspiring professionals and presently unemployed. You can't say your job is community theater. It's great. I love it. It's not a job. You don't get paid unless you're in the production team, but they weren't. They were just performing. I I can't find much of a professional resume for Dan either. It would seem that he was just like a 26-year-old schlub. And Rachel was an ex-Disney princess. <laughs> Solid career. Mm-hmm. That's right. She used to be Ariel for a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cute. Dream job. Good for you. You were the princess that wears just a bra, so. Ugh, I would have loved it. <laughs> I would have been so self I would not have been able to fit into that costume. <laughs> Me neither. She is like a little tiny baby twig person. Yeah. Just giving you a little insight into what she looks like. She's very readily, readily available, like photos online. And, and I'll post pictures of her, too. And of Julie and Sam. So now I'm going to say what a lot of people are thinking. Except for you. You don't think this. They're, the Rachel Dan uh, attractive, attractiveness level is kind of unbalanced. Yeah, and I don't think it's really that unbalanced. I just think that some of it is like he feels like he netted himself a beautiful girl. And he's kind of schlubby. I mean, maybe he feels like that. Yeah. Think about the older pictures of him, though. I am, though, okay. but I i mean, he's a little overweight. It's not even that. He just looks, like, goofy looking. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess because people just aren't photogenic sometimes. Listen, he got better in prison. Yeah, I guess I guess that's why because there is a good-looking guy underneath some of his, In like, all the trial like photos and the prison pictures, he looks like this square-jawed, mm-hmm. decent-looking dude. Yeah. I mean, he definitely, he sounds like he had a personality, so that probably yeah, helped. Yeah, he was probably pretty charismatic. I don't know. I didn't think it was much of a difference. I'm not saying and, this because I'm judging anybody. I'm yeah. saying this because I think that it can possibly play a hand in this case. Yeah. No, I'm with you. So, <clears throat> just dropping that into your consciousness. At the time of the incident, they were both in a production of Nine, the musical. Rachel was playing the Nicole Kidman role for anybody who's seen the movie. And Dan was straight and had a modicum of talent. So naturally, in the community theater world, he was a total god. He racked up roles and enjoyed the adoration that came with them. He, according to all of his former directors, he was a hard worker who showed up on time and was good with children. (laughs) Such a weird thing to add. But it's in everything. All his directors were like, he was Captain Von Trapp. The children loved him. Let's leave the kids out of it. Yeah. It's there. Anyway, so he was clearly playing the lead and only man in the musical Nine, whose name is Guido and is based on Italian director Federico Fellini. Now, I've seen clips of this show, (laughs) and his Italian accent is worse than my Giada impression. (laughs) He sounds like everything he ever needed to know about Italy he learned from Nintendo. (laughs) 
It's a me, Mario. That's, that's all I can hear. It's really good. Here we go again. Oh. That's all I can hear. Before I came over here, mm-hmm. I did read um, somebody's review of him. Oh, no. And it was, uh, there's somebody that I think was writing a book. I don't mm-hmm. know. But their review actually said that he had a convincing Italian accent. No, he did not. Yeah, like he was, he was <laughs> praising it. <laughs> No, nope. I think I screenshotted it. I was going to show it to oh, you. Oh, post it somewhere because that's <laughs> that's delightful. Let me just tell you, he does not. Unless you're like, yeah, everything I know about Italian people is comes from Mario Brothers, which and then, might yes, be this guy's case. Maybe it is, and then he would be right. Yeah, and Rachel fawns and pouts her way across the stage. She's very gestury, and like they're not winning Tony Awards anytime soon, but they're passable singers, so they were good enough. They were living in a nice apartment complex in a nice town, which is not a cheap endeavor, as both of us know, as people who live in, like, a tourist area. They had planned a wedding that was significantly beyond their means, which is nothing. They had no means. And Dan had once, at one point in time, he worked as a home appraiser. This is the only resume credit I can get for his girlfriend's family. He and this woman dated for two years, almost got married. During this time, he appraised homes. Then the relationship ended, and so did the job. So that's that. That's his whole resume. Crazy. It's doubtful that he banked a lot of money there. And the last I checked, being Ariel doesn't exactly make you a millionaire. (laughs) So they were in some debt. But Dan was not above asking for help. He had asked another couple that they performed with to lend him $500 so he could surprise Rachel with a wedding photographer that she really liked. And they just did it, I think. Yeah, it seems like they get a lot of help. These, this couple doesn't say like we gave it to them but they just they talk about him asking for it and I, I feel like they gave it to him yeah right also a local jazz singer named Chris Williams had loaned them three thousand dollars upon yeah. hearing of their struggles that's so much it's a lot of money and that yeah. money got them out of immediate debt not wedding debt it got them out of like lifestyle debt like they, they paid their rent because right. they were getting evicted they, their rent was two yeah. months behind So one could say that they really depended on the kindness of strangers. Mm. Dan had also talked to Sam about the large sum of money that he had in savings. So he knew Sam had $62,000. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of interesting that he knew about that. Yeah. Um, He, so what I had found was that Sam may have, I you know, Dan was asking people for money mm-hmm. and help, and Sam ended up being one of those people, and he decided to help him out. I guess they might have been better friends. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he well, they told were, him— They were friends enough that they, like, they could were, text one another, and they were— Yeah, that's stuff, true. Though. And, I mean, they were neighbors. Yeah. And so he did want to help. The wedding was coming up. Mm-hmm. So Dan mentions that Sam— Took him to the ATM to pull out money. Bank. I know he loves the bank. God. He loves going to the ATM. And he there he was able to get Sam's PIN number while he watched him over his shoulder. Okay, so like just keep that in your mind because yeah. it's very relevant later. Mm-hmm. And when he saw his bank account, he was able to see how much money he actually had in there. Sam talks about it too, though. I don't think he was super quiet about the amount of money because a lot of people knew that. Yeah, I mean, I get, I guess. This is kind of blurry. Yeah. It's never direct in corroborated in a bunch of sources where he, like, found that out. Yeah. So it, it could be a combination of both, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
But he knows. Mm. He knows that he has a shit ton of money. Yeah. More than he gave to him. Right. So back to our timeline. Dan is back speaking to detectives, and you can tell from the second he enters the interrogation room that he is on. It is time for the performance of a lifetime. Oh, it gets so good. Side note, every single TV show or documentary on Dan has an excellent overdramatic name. They're so good. Dateline, plot twist, which just like for a minute, listen in your head to our Lord and Savior, Keith Morrison. Saying that. So good. (laughs) It's the stuff dreams are made of. The perfect murder, curtain call, 48 hours, killer performance, 2020, the final act. (laughs) There are so many more. I know, we have to come up with one. We will. By the time this comes out, we're going to have a really snazzy name for this that I'm going to think of tomorrow afternoon when this goes up. (laughs) (laughs) After it's too late. (laughs) Yep, after it's too late, I'm going to think of it. You know what, though? I have faith in you guys. John usually pulls something out that's really yeah. clever. So no pressure. <laughs> Back to the interrogation room. Dan begins by unsolicitedly proclaiming, out of nowhere, just says it. He's tired of covering for Sam and he won't do it anymore. <laughs> okay, slow down. He tells the detectives he's going to tell them everything he, they need as long as he's out in time for his wedding. That's got to be like in a musical somewhere. I promise you, officer, I'll give you all I got, but I got to be out in time to marry my girl. It's, I love it. it's, it's so dramatic. It is. It's so dramatic. He says that he and Sam were trying to run a fraud scam with banks. So Dan would get Wesley, dear sweet, sweet Wesley, to take money out of an ATM. Sam would report that his card was stolen. The bank would restore the money into his account once they discovered it was indeed stolen. And so now they had the money twice and Dan would get his cut after that happened. Which guess, is how fraud works. Yeah, and I guess Wesley would go to jail for stealing. <laughs> he had on a hat and sunglasses. Total anonymity. Forget about the pizza. Yeah. These, these are not... The prosecutor at one point says that they're not criminal masterminds. Yeah. <laughs> Which is my favorite quotation, because they are not. Mm-mm. But this is what he says... They were going to do. Dan admits to being desperate for money. He admits to his late rent and his wedding debt. And he uh, he said he never saw Julie. He didn't know she was dead. Only that they were trying to scam the bank to get some cash. Cool, right? Except that was all a lie. And the detectives smell bullshit. It's a me, Mario. Not convincing anybody. Sorry, buddy. Then they press a little more. And Dan admits that Sam had come to him on Saturday after his first ATM withdrawal and admitted that he had, quote, done something bad. Oh, no. I know. Apparently, Sam said there was, quote, a dead body in my apartment. I shot somebody. I was not happy about it. <laughs> it was a fit of rage. So shot somebody. S- not out of joy. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fit of rage. No one's like, I'm so happy. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Well, okay. that would be up in the air, not into a person. True. Total different feeling. Apparently, that's what he says, Sam said, to which the Detective responds with the single best line I think I have ever heard in a crime drama. He says, tell us the truth. You're not that good of an actor. (laughs) Oh, Oh, shit. shit. (laughs) (laughs) I audibly cheered when I watched that happen, which I do several times during this, but, like, that was the loudest one. Yeah. That's a sick burn. (laughs) After this, Dan unravels a little bit more, and this is a going theme. He's just like a snowball of a disaster. It just keeps 
adding and adding and adding. At this point, he's like laying it on real thick, though. He's pacing and shouting and laughing maniacally. Very Nick Cage-like. Super Nick Cage. So he's using every single tool he has short of breaking out into song. And frankly, I'm very surprised that he didn't do that. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, my God. Wouldn't it have been awesome? I bet he regrets that. Missed opportunity. Yeah. Mm. Thinks about it every night. Next time you murder somebody, probably you should sing about it. Yeah. If you go that far, definitely. (laughs) If you're going to murder somebody, sing about it. (laughs) Add that to the t-shirt list. (laughs) I'm just saying. Lots of gold. At this point, the detective just... They're thinking that Dan is like an accessory to this murder. They think he was involved, probably helped Sam. Mm-hmm. With yeah, because they just want to find where Sam is. Yeah, they can't. They Sam is still missing, and they're like, okay, well, where is he, and, and what happened? What are the exact events that went down? Yeah, but then it just keeps going. <laughs> he just keeps saying stuff. Dan says he didn't tell authorities about what Sam had done because. Sam threatened to kill him and his future wife, which he is already calling his wife at this point, but he's she's not. He says he he dropped Sam off at a shopping mall. This is the silliest thing I've ever heard. Sam says, like, where do I go? And Dan says, I gotta take you somewhere. The best place to go is the mall. Yeah. Yeah. Best, sure. best place to go is the mall. Where he sees Sam get out of the car and walk away with a man in a black hat. There are, like, mixed bits about the man in the black hat, which we'll come back to later. But just, like, remember that at one point that was a thing. But then, whoops! As soon as he admits this, he backpedals and says, no, 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 um, no, 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 I made that guy up. I just wanted to cover the fact that I was the last person seen with Sam because I thought that would make me in trouble. He is really bad at this. He's so bad at it. So bad at it. He's comically bad and makes very big choices. The cops... Asked Dan at this point for a DNA swab. And he complies. And he is, like, visually, visibly relieved at this point. He's like, oh, well, this is going to absolve me of any of the crime. And he's thinking he's going to be able to leave. As soon as he gives them DNA, he's just going to be able to go home. The detectives do the cheek swab. And then they tell him when he gets up that this is going to be able to tell them if he was in Sam's apartment. So then we backpedal some more. He is, he's so dumb. Like, of course that's what is happening. Why would you think, I don't know. He's, you know, they call him diabolical and evil. I think he is arrogant and dumb. Yeah. He thinks he can get away with anything because he can act his way out of the situation and be convincing. Yeah. But it's so false and he's so over the top. Yeah. That it's, it's super crazy. So then he backpedals and says, no, well, well, um, I, I have been, have, I have been in Sam's apartment before I went in, I used the bathroom, which is where he's thinking the DNA would come from. Right. But then it would be on the toilet, dummy. Right. And then I went onto the patio and that was it. He says he didn't see Julie, nothing. And at this point he's shouting about how his life was in danger and it, oh, I'm going to see if I can post some video because it is so much. <laughs> the cops are really getting him good at this point. And the, direct, the detective said that he and his partner, <laughs> this is fabulous mustache detective, reports that he thought it looked like he was doing an acting job. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he sounded, too. I sure. know. It's such a good phrase, too. Oh, I love it so much. And so Dan stands up to leave, and the detective at this point reveals that, no, he can't leave because he's under arrest for murder and he's not going anywhere. 
Shock surprise. Uh-oh. I saw it coming. Did you see it coming? Yeah. Yeah, I well, did. Dan didn't see it coming. Oh. <laughs> the shock on his face is priceless. He's clearly, like, did not think that was coming. Which is like, come on, man. How did you not think that I was? Know. Whatever. So they say, unless he starts talking, he's going into a jail cell. Dan is not the kind of guy that wants to go in a jail cell. So he asks for a lawyer. Never. <laughs> Did you not ever see one episode of Law and Order any of any variation? Ask for a lawyer. He never Always. does. He says all this crazy incriminating nonsense. This is why you have lawyers. They keep you down. They're like, shut the shut fuck up. up. No. Nope. I mean, I guess it's good that he didn't ask for a lawyer. Well, yeah, maybe this Hurried things along for them, I guess. But for him, it was just the worst plan. So now, Dan says that he just helped Sam escape, which he thinks isn't a crime. Right. Plot twist, Keith Morrison, it is. And then Bombshell, he shouts, yeah, I saw the goddamn body. Is that what you want to (laughs) hear? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, you're a delight, Dan. Thank you. We're done. <laughs> no. So the cops start putting things together, and they work out that Julie must have been lured to her final location for a sinister purpose. They press Dan a little more, and then he admits to coming into Sam's apartment to help him, not just to pee and stand on the balcony for a second. <laughs> Don't you do that with all your friends? Yeah. I just got to use the restroom and look outside real quick and then go home. Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. So Dan says he saw the body and tells the cop, the cops tell like a, like a little white lie at this point. And they say, okay, well, your DNA was on Julie's body. How did that happen? And Dan says he was just leaning over her and his DNA just fell onto her. As it does. DNA just sprinkles off your body nonstop. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's called touch DNA because you had to touch it. Otherwise, it would have been like a hair or an eyelash. They didn't say that. They said, They just said random DNA. Do they say touch DNA, though? That's the kind that you would be looking for. Okay. Because otherwise, I think they would say, like, your hair was found. Yeah. They don't, they just say DNA. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't, it seems to me that anything that could fall off your body. Yeah. They would be like, well, we found your hair there. How did that happen? That seems like an ace in the hole. If you had it, you'd use it. Yeah. Basically. And they don't. (laughs) But moving forward. They asked Dan what he saw. They're pressing him again. And he says that Julie was on the bed with two gunshots in her head. (laughs) (laughs) Now, think back. Remember when I told you that even the police were surprised when the medical examiner told them that Julie had been shot twice? And this is because only one bullet wound was visible to the naked eye. Two detectives' naked eye. Not average Joe. Detectives didn't see it. So now they know that Dan was there either when Julie was shot or he did the shooting. So they're getting warmer. Almost there. Now we have to backpedal real quick. Again, Dan says, no, well, um, Sam only, only told him that he shot Julie twice. And the cops call him on that. And then he says that he helped Sam find the two shell casings that he used to shoot Julie and dispose of them. Which now he's in worse. He says, oh, yeah, because I helped Sam collect all the evidence and loaded up a backpack with everything and then wiped the place down. What? I just want him to shut up. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) So bad. And then the interrogator pulls a genius move that I didn't even know you could do, quite honestly. All right. And he brings in Rachel. 
Oh. Into the interrogation room. The fiance. Yeah, which I, I didn't think you could just be like, I'm going to bring some people in. I did think that this was weird in the documentary when they're just like, we're just going to bring yeah, in your gonna fiance. Yeah, we're just going to call her up. I guess you can ask anyone to do anything. And if they don't ask for a lawyer and just comply, there yeah. you go. She came there of her own free will and answered questions willingly. If anyone called me to come in for John, I would immediately, pro- I mean. Lawyer I, up. Yeah, I would lawyer up. <laughs> I mean, did she even know? Well, that's right. She didn't know yet, though, did she? Mm-mm. Why? No, she didn't even know he was there because he was at his bachelor party. So they just asked her to come they, in? I think they probably just called her and asked her to come down to the police station. Well, oh, I did think, I do think that everyone in that complex at this point knew that Jewel, what had happened to Julie mm-hmm. and that Sam was missing. Mm-hmm. So I think some people, I think the cops had been talking to some people, so yeah. she might have just been called down there. So yeah, she might that's have been, believable. To, I can be with to, that. To what she knows of Dan at that point, he's at his bachelor party. Right. His awesome, awesome bachelor party. Yes. <laughs> he's having so much fun, so she's like, I'll just go to the police station. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. So Rachel gets in there, and let me tell you, her performance was garbage. <laughs> She doesn't act surprised. She wasn't upset. She didn't, like, cry or scream or fall on the floor. She just sits there all monotone. And they have Dan, like, say his confession aloud to Rachel. He says that Sam killed Julie. And then the detectives are like, no, 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 no. That's not what we want you to talk about. Let's tell her your involvement. Oh. Yeah, it's amazing. They're like, it's like an angry dad. It's awesome. I know, I feel, that's what it felt like. Listen, young man. Yeah. You're going to sit here. And tell your fiance what you did. We're g- you're gonna sit here right now. Say it to my mustache. Yeah. Say it to the mustache. Yeah. Don't look at me. Look at her. Yeah. Get it. Oh. <laughs> it's so, so many angry parents in this episode. <laughs> so he says it. He's like, I, I helped Sam clean up after he killed Julie, and I, I, I helped him out. I helped him escape. And she is so unimpressed. She does not give any shits. Her response was. You weren't teaching an insurance class? <laughs> I, I'm dead. Because he was never teaching. That's not anything he ever did one time. Like, where did that come from? I don't know. No one in this case was like, well, he was supposed to be at an insurance class. He was at his bachelor party. It was a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And he was at a planned bachelor party. They lived together. They were getting married in two days. She would know. Right. That's a nuts thing to say. But that's what she says. <laughs> you weren't at your insurance class. I can't. Teaching an insurance Teach, class. Oh, teaching. What are your qualifications? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So then they give him, they, they usher her out. Okay, you've done well, Rachel. Bye. They let her go. And they let him take a break. And he runs right to the phone to call Rachel. It's like intermission. <laughs> it is. Good job. You know theater words. Thank you. I'm very proud of you. Thespian. I remembered <laughs> saponification. Ooh, you remember that I one. I did. So we're, look, we're learning from one another. Yes. It's good. Okay. I hope everyone else remembers them too. <laughs> My, your Quiz end on is, Friday. Your end is saponification. My end is intermission. <laughs> Great. That's why I'm getting another degree. <laughs> they both mean picking up the heat. Ooh. No, they don't. Intermission is a break. <laughs> I know, but it's usually going into the second half, which is like pick, the story's picking okay, up. Okay, I'm going to go with you on that journey because I like yeah. it. <laughs> Thank you. So he calls Rachel. And it's from jail, so like your phone calls are always recorded. 
And in the spirit of the dr- dramatic case we are delivering, Leslie and I have prepared a dramatic reading of this phone call. Yes. <clears throat> you ready? Ready. Okay. Um, and I'm playing Rachel. You are, and I will be playing Dan. Okay. <clears throat> Hello? Hi, baby. What did you do? I helped Sam cover up some stuff, but that's it. I didn't murder anyone. Did you help him cover up the body? Yes. I helped him cover up the body, and my payment was supposed to be everything in his account. Babe, why on earth would you try and cover for him? Because we needed the money. No, we never needed money. We need to be good people and to just have each other. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thunderous applause. (laughs) That last line kills me. We need to be good people and just have each other. Yeah. What? <laughs> She's so dry during all of it. I know, and you you for sure needed money. Yeah. I don't know what you were trying to do there. She knew. Oh, she knew more than she let on, for sure. After these phone calls, Rachel heads over to Dan's parents' house to tell them that he's been arrested, because they don't know anything at this point, and to, like, update him, update them on Dan's situation. Which was nice of her. Yeah. Yeah, his parents should know. Mm-hmm. Dan's brother, Tim, is there, and he flips right the fuck out as soon as she says anything. Not hold anything he in. zero chill and starts talking. This runs in their family. They yeah. can't shut up. As soon as he hears this, he says he immediately admits that Dan had given him a backpack full of all the evidence to dispose of, which he did by throwing it over the fence into the neighbor's yard. Solid plan, Tim. Listen, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. No, Tim does not have a head injury. It's just a commonplace idiot. And I have seen pictures of where that backpack landed. It is not in a grassy yard. It's no. on like the sidewalky part in between houses. It's literally yeah. right over the fence by where you would say like have a hose and rakes and stuff. Yeah, like it looked like where your garbage stuff would be. Yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't like into the woods or something. Yeah. It was, that's the name of a play. Yeah. <laughs> so thematic. <laughs> but he tells them this, tells Rachel this. And she like, at this point she doesn't, know what to do and she starts well she does know what to do I suppose so she starts driving back to the police Mm -hmm. station and calls Dan to talk to him on the way no Dan calls her because he has to call her remember she can't call I I don't know why he decides to call her again but he does and then they have this very dramatic conversation and she says that Tim has come forward and he's Dan does not like that at all and that she needs to give this evidence to the police because if she doesn't tell them what she knows, she's going to look like that she was somehow involved. Which suddenly she got smart. Yeah. Dan does not love any of this scenario. And he's begging her, please, 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 you can't tell them. And she says, I have to tell them. And then he says, then I'm dead. And then, in the most wicked turnaround ever, Rachel says, <clears throat> in her very monotone voice, mm-hmm. You realize they're recording this conversation anyways. You're being an absolute ass to try and lie again. She knew the whole time that they were being recorded, which is stone fucking cold because yeah. I don't think Dan did. No. He said he clearly, so much shit. He would he never kept have, talking, too. He never stops talking. Mm-mm. So it's revealed that Tim knew he had the murder weapon, and Rachel is adamant about telling the authorities. And Dan says, again, he says, now now I'm dead. Now I'm really dead. And to remain like a cold-blooded icon, 
Rachel says, baby, you're already dead. I think she was thinking of future merch, too. Oh, for sure. She's like, this is going to go on a t-shirt. This is going to be my line. This is my thing forever. They'll have my face on the t-shirt saying, baby, you're already dead. That's a good t-shirt, though. It is. That's like a really good t-shirt. And I'm not going to buy it because she's an asshole, but still. I might steal it. I might take it. On board. I'm going to take it. Take it. Make some money. Cool. So at this point, she's arriving at the police station. Like, they get off the phone when she's pulling in because she says, like, I gotta go. (laughs) And she does tell the authorities what she knows, but not before Dan completely confesses to her. So he's like, okay, I'm gonna, like, come clean. And they have this super classic exchange where he's like, I failed you as a man. (laughs) (laughs) He starts crying. Um... And she tells him basically like, man up or I'll never, I'll visit you. You're fine. Because he says, you're never going to see me again. (laughs) It's all over. She's like, shut up. I'm going to come and visit you. Spoiler alert. She does not visit him. (laughs) You said she visited him one time. I didn't read this, but I love this story and I want it to be real. Well, so Dan says that she did see him this one time Uh and he revealed this to this blogger. That was after him. Oh, my God. (laughs) This blog is one of the craziest things the internet has to offer. And the internet has some crazy shit to offer. Yeah, so through some rabbit holes that I went down Mm -hmm. of researching this, uh, or just trying to get, all I was trying to find out is what Dan was up to. It actually pops up pretty quickly. Quicker than you want it to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's, the blog is called DanielWozniakIsMyFriend.com. And it is... Oh, well, I'll man. let you guys be the judge. You can go read it. It's, it can be interesting. But either way, there Dan mentions to this blogger mm-hmm. that Rachel did come to visit, and it was very quick. She just came in. It was, I think, three months. It wasn't that much. Right. It wasn't too long after okay. he'd been in there. But she came in just to break up with him. She gave him the finger, said, fuck you, we're done, and left. And I, I just, believe she was in there with another guy. I want that story to be true because it's yeah. nuts yeah. if it is. We don't know if that's true or not, but, like, like just think about it being true because that's pretty funny. And Dan is still very confused about it. Super confused. Yeah. He still loves her. And then he says to her, do you want me to go to prison or the mental institution? And Rachel answers, go to the mental institution. Yeah. Pick that one. As though he had a choice and could just, like, act his way into either situation. Mm-hmm. Cool. Her parting words to him as she arrives at the police station, because she's, you know, she's there and she's going to tell them everything she knows. These are her final words to him. I still love you very much. You are so insane and so stupid, but I know in your twisted little mind that you did it because you wanted to be happy with me. And I hate you for screwing it up. And let me tell you something. Leslie is so much nicer than she is. She was such an asshole. This is like, I hate you. You're dumb. Like, it's not kind. But Leslie can't be mean. That's in I her personality. I'm, I'm just she trying can't. to be mean. She did. She tried to be mean. But Leslie, it goes without saying, she's super mean. So now it's game on. Dan goes full on Batman villain crazy and starts confessing everything to the detectives. His opener to them when he says he wants to talk is, I'm crazy and I did it. I killed Julie and I killed Sam. Sam came first. It was all about money. Well, damn. There it is. Uh, Yeah, it's right there. So now I'm going to lay out the full events for everyone 
in my words, which are going to be a lot easier to understand than yeah. Dan's jumbled up nonsense. So what follows is going to be a blow-by-blow blow of the actual events that happened on the afternoon of May 21st. So Dan did ask Sam to help him move some things at the theater. He sent him a text saying he needed some help. Um, there was no one at the theater there for the evening yet. And if you're involved in community theater productions, like, it's not hard to get a key. He might have been helping with any kind of thing they gave him a key for it. So that's not out of the realm of possibilities. So they went to the theater. They walked up into the attic, which was used as prop storage. And Dan told Sam to to bend down, like, on his knees and, and help him pick up a heavy object. I imagine it was probably, like, a piece of furniture. And Sam did this. And as he did, Dan shot him in the back of the head once, which didn't kill him. And Sam asked for help, which is really upsetting. He just felt like something had hit him, and he was very confused. So he helped him all right. He just shot him again in the back of the head. And then and that one killed Sam. He then laid him out and cut off Sam's head, hands, arms, and feet, which is something nobody saw coming. No, that just... That's lifted this whole case. Way crazier than anyone ever thought. And wraps them all in trash bags, packs the body parts up into his car. He drives to the El Dorado Nature Preserve, where he buries the pieces of Sam in shallow holes in the brush under leaves and stuff. He then went to find Wesley and began withdrawing money. After the withdrawals happen, he goes home, cleans himself up, Takes a shower, gets ready, and arrives at call time at the theater on time and performs in the show like nothing happened. He is completely unaffected. There are videos from that night's performance. Yeah. You cannot tell. He's marioing it up. Now, remember, Julie received a text to go to Sam's apartment at midnight, which would be after the show lets out. As it turns out, after Dan killed Sam, he took his phone and sent those checks texts to Julie when she arrived Dan was waiting for her which she knew that they were neighbors she did know him it wasn't like a who's this guy right he said to just come on in and um, Sam left something on his bed can you come in and look at it and which she totally didn't expect anything weird and she did and she leaned over the bed just like last time Dan shot her twice in the back of the head and then he staged the act to look like she was raped and murdered so that authorities would assume and they did, that Sam had done this in a fit of rage and was now on the run. Julie was killed entirely as a ruse to throw off authorities. She was killed by her kindness. After it was all done, Dan packed up the murder weapon, the tools he used to dismember the body, Sam's bloody clothes, and the shell casings from when he shot Julie into a backpack, which he gave to his idiot brother to dispose of. Authorities then set out to find the backpack, which was super easy, and Sam's remains, which was less easy. Sam's body was so compromised that he could only be identified by the tattoo on his chest. It was a heart with the words mom and dad. Those little details get you every time. For sure. On September 23rd, 2016, Daniel Wozniak was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. During his stay on death row, the governor of California put a stay on the death penalty. So now Dan lies in wait, serving what is mostly like, most likely going to be translated to a full life behind bars. 
Dan's court case was an immensely lengthy one. His lawyer tried a lot of different tactics, but in the end, nothing worked. His brother Tim, the idiot, testified against Daniel in court in exchange for a lesser sentence for himself. Tim only received probation, which he recently violated and is now in jail. Fantastic. Because he's super smart. So smart. Yeah. Rachel Buffett, on the other hand, was revealed to be a little less innocent than she claimed, which we have already hinted at because we have feelings about Rachel. As it turns out, Rachel knew their financial problems were dire. Remember Chris Williams, the philanthropic jazz jazz singer who loaned them $3,000? Well, he wanted his money back. So he told Dan that he was sending loan sharks and mafia guys or something to come get him if he didn't receive money soon. He was lying, but, you know, they didn't know that. On the morning of May 21st, Chris paid a visit to Dan and Rachel, saying he needed his money right now, or some money. He just needed to see that they were going to pay him back. Or there was going to be trouble. And Dan agreed to get it. So while Chris sat with Rachel in their apartment, Dan left for a few, I think it was three hours. About three hours, yeah. And returned with $400. Which, if we remember correctly, is the amount Wesley was withdrawing. Yeah. So this whole insane act, just Sam's murder, not Julie's, and the burying, and the dismembering, and finding Wesley, and getting the money, happened in three hours. Yeah. I can't, like, eat a sandwich in three hours, let alone do all of that. It's crazy to me how there's no way that wasn't so premeditated down to the second. Right. Because it was very fast. There's no time to panic. He just did things. Yeah, absolutely. In 2018... Rachel was sentenced to 32 months in prison as an accessory to the murders of Sam Hare and Julie Kibuishi. And scene. Great job. Thank you. That was a big story. I wrote so many pages for this one. Yeah. So we have a little bit of epilogue on this one because Leslie did some independent research that was on like a different tack than mine and you found out some stuff. Yeah, it just went down more on how Rachel was involved. Right. I guess in the case. So we had talked about this man with a black hat. Right. I said that was going to come back. Yeah. So Dan mentions to the detectives that he dropped Sam off at the mall. With this guy, Mm -hmm. and he sees this guy in a black hat, and he goes off with him. And Sam leaves with the guy in the black hat. Yeah. So Rachel also recounts that she saw a man in a black hat leave with Sam. But this would have happened at the apartments. Right, because she was, that's the only place she was. She didn't leave. Mm -hmm. And Which that, those are different timelines completely in different locations. Exactly. And she... Rachel kind of goes back and forth on this because she says she doesn't remember specifically saying she saw him. But what the police remember her saying is that she didn't recognize this guy in the black hat. He didn't live there. So in order to not recognize somebody and to know he didn't live there, you'd have to see. You'd have to know that he was there. Mm -hmm. And it's not like there were pictures of this guy or anything. Well, the problem with her having seen this guy in the black hat is that Dan takes that back he and says, says he's he, imaginary. Yeah, he made it up. So this led the cops to believe that Rachel had to have known some story. She at least was fed information to yes. tell the police, mm-hmm. which makes her an accessory to the murders. Yes. Um, so that was a lot of it for Rachel. Um, they, I mean, for her, they, they got her to, well, she's in prison because of 
maybe keeping some information after the fact. Right, and she also got credit for time served, so she's not going to serve that much time at present because they held her Yeah, for some time before yeah. they bailed her out, and then she was able to be at home. But there's a lot of other witnesses that came forward um, that just felt like she was part of it from the beginning, that she, she was maybe even the person that planned it. I don't know. Right, but and this can't be viewed as not a character assassination. Yeah. At this point, it's just people saying... Mm-hmm. And they could easily be true. However, yeah. those are just people speaking to her character, and I, yeah. I don't think that holds up in a court of law. I know. The one thing that I thought of was that maybe if she did plan it with Dan mm-hmm. and she's watching Dan unravel in mm-hmm. the room. She's so cold. Yeah, she is just throwing him under the bus. Mm-hmm. And well, I can see, yeah, I could just see her. Because there was a couple phone calls too that we don't talk about yeah. in here where it almost sounds like she's trying to feed, she's trying to get it the does. information. She's trying to find out what he has told the cops already. Like, so then what happened? Right. So, okay, so... You did that, Wait, and did then you hide this? the body? Are you the one that killed them? She yeah, does say a lot of leading she, things. I just don't mm-hmm. have those phone calls in their specific order because yeah. a lot of um, other journalists that have used them use them out of order as like a surprise. Like they say some of it, and then they loop back to right. reveal. And um, Sleuth holds rights to a lot of these um, mm-hmm. phone calls. I don't know exactly the legality of it, but I don't even want to play with it. Yeah, there's I would room say- for all of us. Yeah. You have your thing good for you. Absolutely. I would say if you are interested, at least listen to the first two, maybe the third of the podcast, and you'll get a lot of these extra phone calls. And you'll kind of see where I was feeling like, oh, Rachel had a lot more to do with this than what I originally thought. Yeah, and I can see that side, but also I can understand why they would say, well, this is just a character assassination. We can't use this. Yeah, absolutely. So that adds up. Yeah, and I know that, um, well, we're not going to go too much into the case because it was, I mean, it took five years. The legalities of it. Yeah, the whole legalities. We could do a whole other podcast just Mm -hmm. on, and I don't know how much time we're at here, but we (laughs) we could keep going just on the legal nightmare that this case was. Yeah, I just remember that Dan's lawyer, the mm-hmm. defendant, he wanted... Who was a public defender, by the yeah. way. Was, mm-hmm. He couldn't hire a lawyer. He didn't have any money. Right. And his parents are clearly not paying for anything at this point. Exactly. His whole thing was, obviously, he knew what Dan did. He believed that he did that crime. He just wanted to keep him off of death row. He didn't think that he deserved right. that. And he wanted to see more... Um, more about Rachel. He really wanted to prove that she really had a lot well, to do with this. Disseminate some of the blame. Yeah, and so the prosecutors were trying. I feel like maybe they were trying to soften that side a little bit mm-hmm. because they wanted death row for Daniel, and they were afraid they were going to lose it. I don't, I don't know, know how know that what they really, have to gain there. Uh, yeah, I don't know how Unless that works. The, um, it would be because the jury would maybe feel like, oh, Daniel was really. Well, the other thing is they're working for the victims' families, and that could have been what they wanted. Yeah. And if that's the case, that's what he's going to go for. That's true. I'm with you on that. So And and freaking Steve wanted him gone because Steve's, in his final, like, victim statement, was he said his only regret was that he wasn't allowed to go kill that coward himself. Yeah, absolutely. (gasps) Which was Mm -hmm. badass. And a lot of, so with um, the Sleuth podcast mm-hmm. and some of the other things, a lot of uh, the extra information is also coming from Steve Hare, yeah. Sam's dad, because he really just wants to understand what happened. I, I he don't believes blame him. that it's there's crazy. more to it. Doesn't make a lot of sense talking to some of Sam's closer friends. Mm-hmm. There's just, 
this this case was a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be. It is. There's so much more out there to read. And we encourage you, if you want to know more, just to do your own investigating. Yeah. You will find so much, more than I can even give you sites for. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot. But also, I caution you to please go in with level and open mind because some of the things you read are going to be colored by people's um, knowledge of the case. It's been out there for a long time. Yeah. And as I was saying to you before we recorded, when you already have it in your head that someone is like a bad person and they're doing this, you're going to see events that involve them in your life as worse than they were. Yeah. It's just going to influence it. You're going to be like, oh, well, she was terrible. Well, also she stole my boyfriend or she did this or she did that. Like you're, you're going to think she's terrible. So we really have so few ways of knowing. Absolutely. Beyond talking to someone who actually knew her and, mm-hmm. and lived in another country for like 16 years yeah. and didn't know this <laughs> happened. Yeah, I mean, I will say that because we bring him up in every episode so far, Rachel did go on Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil! Real Dr. Phil. Real Dr. (laughs) Phil, yep. Feel. Dr. Phil. He's different, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, he's the medical doctor. (laughs) Yikes. Anyway, but she went on Dr. Phil, and Steve uh, went on that episode as well, so... That was uh, that was a good episode. You can watch it on watch the Dr. YouTubes. Phil. Watch Dateline, Forty Eight yeah. Hours, um, Twenty Twenty. Mm-hmm. There's in Ice Cold Blood. Oh, nice. Yeah. On, on the Oxygen <laughs> Channel, oh, Investigation Oxygen. Discovery covers it. It's it is everywhere. There is a glut of information. Yeah. I really picked this because I was like, oh, we did soap. Let's do acting. Yeah. And it became huge as always so dramatic oh my god i'm so sorry so we're gonna we're gonna try and wrap this up though because we've gone on for a very long time and let us have our toast and i think it's super obvious who we need to toast oh yes steve it's steve (laughs) (laughs) honest like steve and a little like little bit wesley i'll let you do wesley because you definitely have a soft spot for him i feel like he's just a sweet little baby we'll give the whole toast to steve i just had to mention him so cheers to steve should we clink cheers oh good job (laughs) you did it thank you steve for all your honesty and being a badass amazing dad (laughs) and we're sorry if we offended you by anything we said we really have the best intentions towards steve we love him dearly Mm in the end leslie and i know that we too would never hesitate to help a friend Friends are like family. When they call, we're there. We would never expect anything terrible to happen to us at the hands of our friends. And if just one of them turned on us, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod and join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. So uncomfortable. I hate the no sex part and I'm glad that you do too. Mm Mm-hmm.